Hey, this is Donald Copeland, former Seton Hall Pirate, current assistant coach at Wagner College, and you're listening to Left Coast Pirates. Just west of the Ward Place Gate from San Diego, California, he is Mike Dizzy Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tommy Chilkoharski, class of 1997, and we are Left Coast Pirates. Good evening, Mike. How are you today? Good evening, Tommy. Let's get right to it. Oh, we have a lot to cover, Mike. This was one exciting Big East tournament. Look, all I have to say is there's something special about this time of the year, playing in the Big East tournament at the Mecca, Madison Square Garden. It kind of just brings out the best in players. It's had throughout the years. Jerry McNamara, Kemba Walker, six overtime classic between UConn and Q's. And this year, the special moments did not stop. Oh, and we had special moments just starting off in the first game, Mike, between Seton Hall and Georgetown. Seton Hall went 73, Georgetown 57. The Hall dominated the first half 53 to 26. But that wasn't the story, Michael. The story was Miles Powell, who decided to outscore G-Town by himself 29 to 26 in one of the most impressive first halves I've ever seen out of any Seton Hall Pirate. The first half was impressive by the team as well, Michael. They shot 8 for 14 from 3. The team had 10 assists and 20 points off turnovers in just the first half. Second half, things went slow as the offense stalled and Georgetown got within 13 points after a 12-0 run. Seton Hall missed 11 consecutive shots, but they answered back to push the lead back north of 20 and closed out the game. Sandro had a fantastic game, a 10 and 12. Kale pitched in with 14 points, and lo and behold, we had an Anthony Nelson sighting with 11 minutes off the bench. I think it's time we need to start talking about Miles Powell as an All-American candidate, no? I don't know if there was a more impressive guard at this point. I mean, his, his performance was beyond special. It was historical. I don't think people realize that that was the most points scored in a Big East tournament game for a single half. He broke Dougie Bucket's record of 27, previously said a few years back. I mean, he had the garden and the announcers completely in awe. I mean, I after every three-pointer that went down or attacked the basket, I just kind of felt myself kind of sitting back in my chair going, whoa, I just can't believe he continues to do this. We talked about this before. You don't normally get a chance to see a player go into the zone during a college basketball game. It just The skill set offensively is normally not developed to that extreme. And when a guy dominates the game over the years, we've seen a guy dominate the game you know, inside the paint, attacking the basket, being a man amongst boys. But Powell's doing it attacking the basket. He's doing it shooting NBA range. He's doing it off of double teams. He's doing it at distances he should not be shooting the basketball. And I feel the utmost confidence every time that it was going to go in. I sat there and thought to myself, he's going for 50 tonight, Mike. I mean, I never have thought that I'd see a Seton Hall player go off like that. And I don't normally compare modern players to past players, but literally that was the best half of basketball I've ever seen anyone play. Now, the boys came out after halftime and 
they just seem to go into the Dean Smith, North Carolina four-corner offense. It's something like Kevin didn't want to put the foot down on Ewing's neck. He said it He said in the postgame. He said, I told the guys to slow it down and run some clock. He collectively had probably the best half of basketball, not just from Powell, but from the entire team. I would love, if there's any criticism from that game, I would love for see him, like you said, to step on their throats. How many times are we playing Nova and we're down 20 and all of a sudden his starters are still riding, riding minutes in that game, putting up threes, just taking it to us. We never do that to our opponents. It's, it's not who Kevin is. It's not his style. But what was confusing to me was this number. So if I'm going to kind of ease off the gas, then maybe I get in a tournament setting more guys' minutes to get them into the flow of the tournament or balance out the minutes so my guys don't wear down heading into the next night. Four of his five starters played 33-plus minutes in that game still. I would have liked to see in better utilization of the bench so that they might have had some more energy going into the next night. But otherwise, you know, they took care of business. They, if there was any doubt that they might have still been on the bubble, that that was erased. So it was, it was a good job. They came out and took care of business. Now, I understand it's not Kevin's style to do stuff like that, but we just talked to Donald Copeland, and one of his seasons, they had lost to Duke, you know, Coach K by 53, and they had lost to Jim Calhoun's UConn team by 40. You know, it'd be nice to be on the other side of that bubble once in a while, Mike. Kevin has flat out said that's not his style. He, you know, he, he, he shows remorse, empathy. I don't know what it is, but he, during the regular season, will typically empty his bench much sooner than the other opposing team does. I don't mind if he does that. Point was, you come out of the gate up 20-plus to start the second half, put him down by 35. Take the starters out with 10 minutes to go. Then you can move on to the next game. And the next game was potentially the most emotionally draining game I've ever watched from my living room, Mike. Seton Hall, 81. Marquette, 79. It was atrocious, Tommy. It, it, it just this wasn't just emotionally draining. It, it, the, the numbers on the paper just kind of jump off and make you, your head scratch. There were 85 free throws taken in the game, 56 fouls called, eight technicals, three ejections, four players fouled out in total. I mean, it wouldn't be a Seton Hall game this year, though, if we didn't get down by double digits early. We Out of the gate, we trailed 24 to 12, then we trailed 34 to 24, but we rallied back and cut the lead to three at half. Trailing at 63 to 58 with 747 to play, the Hall went on a 16 to four run to take a seven-point lead. The Hall gave Marquette many chances to get back in this game, shooting only 26 of 44 from the line. And they had to hold their breath as Marcus Howard missed a three at the buzzer to prevail. Powell had 22 points, seven assists. Q had a big bounce-back game, 18 points, four assists against only one turnover. And he also shut down Marcus Howard, one of 15 from the floor. But that was not the takeaway from this game, Mike. This was potentially the worst refed game I have ever seen in my life. It was so poorly refed that Donnie Marshall, who's normally a giddy guy, a happy guy, he actually took a good five minutes to just blast the refereeing on this game. I mean, it was atrocious. But I think people are going to kind of hone in on this situation and think that this game got out of control with the big fiasco in the second half when basically they were throwing fisticuffs after Powell attacked the basket. He got fouled by Sakar Nim, and then Theo John pushed him to the ground with the extra shove, and then all hell broke loose. But that's not where the game got away from the refs. If you rewind all the way back to the first half, 
when Powell and Anim were getting in it about, you know, seven minutes into the game, Powell, he, he wasn't engaging. I'm going to give Powell credit. Anim was kind of talking trash in his ear. Uh, they got locked up on a foul call as Powell drove to the basket, and he was chirping. And you could see that Powell wanted no part of it, but the refs did not step in to clean up the game at that point. And then as they're getting ready to inbound the ball, Anim's grabbing him, he's holding him. Powell's getting the same treatment that he's gotten throughout the year. And you know what? I know Powell's a trash talker. Powell knows how to dish it. He doesn't know how to take it sometimes. So his response to that was a big elbow to his chest, flagrant one. And then Anim gets the, the technical for taunting. I think at that, the ref should have kind of blown the whistle, went over to both coaches, gotten the players together and said, hey, boys, we are playing the Big East semifinal on national television in Madison Square Garden. Can we just play basketball? And they didn't do that. And then the game kind of just, you know, decomposed from there on out. And then when everything kind of hit the fan in the second half, you kind of felt it was boiling up to that. So I'm not surprised that it blew up to the extent that it did. I take this to a different point. I The refs did not do anyone any favors, but I'll bring it back to Wojo. Yes, the, the head coach of Marquette. We should actually be thankful. You know why, Mike? We used to have great villains in the old Big East. Jim Beheim, we hated him. Jim Calhoun, we couldn't stand him. John Thompson, we may have some begrudging respect for him, but we couldn't stand how he ran his program. But you know what? The, the coaches in the Big East right now, really respectable. Jay Wright beats the pants off you, and you still respect him. You like all sorts of coaches in the Big East. Wojo, he's, the, he's still slapping the logo on the court. He's the one that we hate right now. He decided he was going to implement the power rules. Sakar was going to go in there. He was going to get physical with him. He was going to talk in his ear to try to throw Miles off his game. And you know what? He also channeled his inner John Chaney. I'm going old school, Mike. He he channeled his inner John Chaney because he sent the goons after him. Because that's all Theo John's is. Let's say he's got a fantastic body. He's a big-shouldered kid. He plays like garbage. In the second game against Seton Hall, he got up in Mike Enzi's face. And now he's doing stuff like this. These were the goons. This was the plan Wojo put into effect. This is how he was going to win this game. To, to me, it continues to come back to the refs and that entire crew as to the, how they handled the situation. You're right. I, I Absolutely. Wojo's kind of feeding the fuel for the rest of his team. He's got a couple guys that are defensive enforcers, as you want to call them. You want to call them thugs. I don't really care at this point. They, they, they were playing a little bit dirty to try to get under Powell's skin. I think that's not a bad strategy. You know that you know, Powell has a history of getting rattled when he gets frustrated. My issue, once again, continues to come back to the refs. Wojo's behavior at the end of the first half when, when Jared Roden gets fouled, with you know, 0.1 seconds to go and gives Theo John his third foul, Wojo was off the rails. He must have dropped like four or five F-bombs in that sequence. So then as we fast forward into the second half, and, and after everything kind of had already escalated, really? The, the refs are going to use a different set of standards when they give Willard a technical foul? It, it just, the, the whole thing was a mess. They could have once again kind of reeled it back in. They did not let those kids play from the 11-minute the mark on. It, it was a foul shooting contest. Did you know that Marquette made one field goal from the floor from the rest of the game after the whole incident took place? And they took us down to the wire. That's how many free throws that Marquette and Marcus Howard took from a combination of being in the penalty and shooting technical free throws. It was a joke. And I'm it not really was. I'm not shocked that an old Dookie is a little hypocritical about this whole thing, complaining that the refs took the game away from the kids, considering how many shots, how many fouls were called against us, how many shots they went 
free to the line against us. It was disgusting. It was not fair and equitable. And then after it, they're thinking they're going to get control of this game by calling every ticky-tack foul. Probably the most egregious was the one called on um, on Anthony Nelson when he oh. barely bodied up on Marcus Howard. I mean, you fart on the kid, and the kid goes to the line for two. That was horrendous. I mean, it, it really, he you're joking saying that he farted on him. I don't think he even made contact. I, I, I really don't at all. I'll say this. I give the kids a lot of credit. That game was out of control. The emotions were high. Watching us play earlier in the season, we have gotten rattled by the moment. Did you know that we only turned the ball over eight times that entire game? Our backcourt had gone through a stretch of being like an almost automatic turnover. Powell, Q, and the, the time that Nelson got in this game as well, only four turnovers between all three of them. That was really impressive. I was really surprised and really proud of what kind of composure they showed after the fact. And what about Q coming out of nowhere, just taking over the game for big, long stretches of the game? On one side of the court, he's keeping Marcus Howard 1-15 to shooting. I'm sure it wasn't just him, but the majority of the time, he's just on him like white on rice. Then you have him coming in on the offensive side, taking mid-range jumpers, taking over the game, just saying, we are not going to lose this game. That's the takeaway. That is absolutely the takeaway. I think we've gotten spoiled by his defense. Oat must come to expect it at this point. You know, we, we look we look at the box score and go one of 15. That, that's a crazy stat. I know Howard finished with like north of 20 because of all the free throws he took, but Q effectively took him out of the game. I, I know there was a little bit of an injury factor there, but so we, so we were joking about the fact that, you know, maybe Q should have taken out the point guard from Creighton, Zegarowski, when he had the broken hand and, and kind of give him a little love tap or test it out. But Howard had an injury. Q was all up on him. He was he was making it physical. He was making it difficult. And yes, he re-injured it. But that's what you got to do. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying you need to play dirty, but you got to be physical. When their best player has got a disadvantage, you have to exploit that disadvantage. Q is a beast on defense. I, I never doubt that he's going to bring his A effort on that side of the floor. Sometimes he has a lack of judgment with his basketball IQ and gives away uh, important fouls uh, very carelessly, but he didn't really do that in this game. You said it. The confidence on the offensive side of the floor. He was in a funk. He was aggressive. He was stopping for the mid-range jump shot. He was going all the way to the basket. He was an emotional leader on that side of the ball without overcommitting and turning the ball over. It was a sight to see. We need Q to kind of get his swagger back, not just on the defensive side of the floor. No, no, we had John Fanta on. He said that Willard likes a little dog in his guards to play some defense. Well, you know what? We got the junkyard dog on our side because Q just doesn't back down in these situations. He, he's been a revelation. He really has. We did not expect this from him in the beginning of the season. At the end of the day, what I take away from this game is it was a crazy game. It was a wacky game from start to finish, and I think that's what's going to eventually make it special when we look back. I mean, y y if you have a, a tough one where it ends in a two-point game, we're just going to look at the box score years from now and go, oh, I remember that was a close one. You were going to remember this one because of the crazy nature of the fight, the fouls, the technicals, the ejections, Miles Powell going back into the locker room thinking that he's been kicked out of the game crying in the locker room and the coaches coming back to get him to tell him that the interpretation of the rule means he's still in the ball game. You cannot tell me that these kids don't care about winning at the college level. It's, it's I, I know there's a lot of stuff going on in the game right now with money and scandals, but there is still a ton of passion about winning and representing their program for these kids. And it showed in this game. 
And, and that's what that's what I loved about this game. And it was even said in the post game by Lavin, and it was said by Donnie Marshall. Both of those teams, regardless of the chaos by the refs, made their programs proud as to how hard they fought down to the final final seconds of that game. The only problem you end up having with Friday night is that it could have made the championship game anticlimactic. But, oh, did that not happen. Villanova came in, and they beat us, unfortunately, 74-72. to Nova led throughout except for a couple moments when Seton Hall took brief leads of two or three points. Seton Hall was down 21-13 to but rallied to take a one-point lead. Again, later on, they were down 44-39 to but rallied again to take a two-point lead. Stats were essentially even across the board except for turnovers, and Mike, we won the turnover battle. Free throw attempts, though, was another story where we had less than half of what Nova took. Miles Powell was a man again, scoring 25 points, getting five rebounds and four assists. Left Coast Pirates favorite stepped up and was huge. Anthony Nelson played 17 minutes for a slightly injured Q, scoring 12 points, having two assists and no turnovers. And the big bugaboo that everyone kept talking about, his defense. Well, he played exceptional defense and had a big block down low. Mike, I was emotionally exhausted from the Marquette game. This game seemed to just kind of go by us. What do you take away from it? I felt the same way. Normally when I'm watching a game, I am kind of on the edge of my seat. This is the Big East Championship game. I'm sitting back in my recliner, kind of just munching on some snacks and taking it in. I, I, It was very casual. The game got off to a really good start with some nice flow in the first five minutes. And then from there on out, it just kind of felt like both teams were trying to kind of find their way. Pe- people forget that not just our game against Marquette was a grinder. Nova played Xavier to an overtime thriller right before us. So I, I know they, they had extra time to go home and get their meal and get in bed and get prepped. But both teams went through an emotional war the night before. It just didn't feel like the game, even the crowd, picked up that emotional steam until almost like the 10-minute mark of the second half. I mean, that's how, that's how I felt. Now, the refs handled this game a lot better than the night before. However, we still had some questionable refereeing, Mike. It just seems like Nova is in that point where it gets the benefit of the doubt. What was up with that technical on Willard? If you saw what happened, the ref closest to him doesn't tee him up. The ref across the court is the one that actually calls for the tee. And no explanation has been given on where that came from. I'm I'm excited that Willard's getting a little more emotionally involved in the game. I didn't like the call. I thought the call was horrendous. Up until that point, I thought the refs had called a very, very good game. And I know what Willard was complaining about. Willard was complaining that on the offensive rebound attempt after Nelson missed the layup, Powell's getting tackled on the head. And then after all that kind of you know plays itself out, the ball is sitting there for Nelson to scoop it up and put in the basket. And at that point, we're, we're leading by two. I think the ref needs to swallow the whistle at that point. It, he just does. We, we joke and say that Jay Wright is like the, is Commissioner Wright. You, you said that we, we won the turnover battle, but we lost the battle from the free throw line. You, you kind of left out the numbers. 26 to 11 in a game that was basically evenly contested and what we thought was a well-called game, that's a pretty big disparity. I've watched games where I go, wow, one team has got 26 free throws. The other team's only got 11. The team with the 11 was not attacking the basket. They were settling for jump shots. They were taking a lot of threes. That is not what happened in this game. We attacked the basket. 
we had double their amount of points in the paint. You should not have that uneven of a whistle when one team is as aggressive as we were attacking the basket. You just shouldn't. What bothers me is the out-of-position guy making calls. And, and I know on a technical, there is really not a out-of-position, so to speak. But if the guy right next to you is not getting offended by what you have to say, why is the guy cross-court blowing his whistle? I totally agree. And I don't want to come across like a whiny crybaby. I don't think we lost this game because of the refs. So that, that is not where I'm coming across with this being a point of our, our recap. I am just tired of being the second fiddle, you know, stepchild to Villanova. They maybe have earned it over the years for the success that they've had, but it, it doesn't excuse that all the other teams in the Big East need to be playing at a competitive disadvantage with the foul disparity. It always feels like that's the case when we're playing them. It just does. I Maybe I'm wrong. I got to go back and check most of the numbers, but the, my gut's telling me that we are playing, once again, against Commissioner Wright in most of these situations. And a good example of this benefit of the doubt call is the foul call on Roden. I, I think it was Samuels had the ball. He was slipping to the ground. He's falling. Roden's going after the loose ball at this point. Yes, maybe he made contact at that point. It didn't cause Samuels to fall. It didn't cause the ball to go loose. You suck that whistle up at that point because we're down at that point. We, If we get that ball, we turn it into points. Where was the call on that? I I don't think that the end result of that sequence really was once again detrimental to the end result of the game. Uh, people don't realize that as he's falling to the ground, he's still maintaining his dribble and passes it back out to another Villanova player. So it shouldn't have been a foul on Roden, but it wasn't a travel. It wasn't a turnover. At the end of the day, as he makes that pass out to another player, then what's going to happen? They're going to continue to run the clock out. What really annoyed most fans at that point was it just felt like that was the icing on the cake uh, relative to a couple bad calls leading up to this point. But no, I, I don't think the end result is what cost them the game. Once again, I don't think what the rest did cost them the game. It's just It just gets under my skin that it feels like it happens against Nova, that disparity from the line over and over again. Now, Mike, I'm going to take you to task at this point because about four minutes left in the game, the hall is down by about seven, and you're texting me. <laughs> as we do, we text all game long. I, I mean, sometimes I, I don't did. even know I if did. I can see the screen. But all of a sudden, I get this text with about four minutes left. There's no shame in losing this game to this team. And I'm wondering, is this Mike? Is this Mr. Glass half full? And I'm thinking to myself, this game's not over. Over? Over? Did you say Over? Nothing's over until we decide it is. Completely and within seconds, out of context. down Completely taking me out of context. Come on. They, they hit a shot to put us down nine. We had a couple sequences where you were like, oh, they, they missed an opportunity there. They didn't make the right play. And then Nova, you know, the discipline team that they do, they hit a couple big threes. It just felt, I'm not saying I gave up. It just felt like that was one of those moments where you're like, ah, three minutes to go. That's a dagger type three. They had not been down the double digits like they traditionally have all in this game. And now they're staring at a nine-point deficit for the first time. Look, I give them all the credit in the world. They fought back. They fought back throughout the entire game, as, as you highlighted in the recap. But at that moment, my gut was telling me this game probably over. And for the entire three-game run, at that point, I felt pretty proud about how they had played up into that moment. Hence, no shame that they lost at that point. Michael, don't project. <laughs> You were giving up, Michael. Don't project. That was all you. You you want positives? I were giving you positives throughout that entire time as we're as we're going down seven, as we're going down nine, as we're fighting back. Who who was I who was I positive about? Go ahead. Cause because I was I was really positive down the last three minutes of that game because Anthony Nelson 
came to play. Willard let him have some time, and the kid flourished. He was confident. He was attacking on the offensive side. He was finishing strong. He was playing very good defense. He had a block. He picked Booth's pocket and took it coast to coast. He should have had 14 points if Enzi doesn't do the offensive interference down the stretch as well. 14 points in the biggest game of the season on the biggest stage. And we're, we're saying that Nelson shouldn't be playing at all. Shavar should be backing up Q. The Shavar experiment should be over. No offense to Shavar. Don't want to go down this rabbit hole for more than 30 seconds. But Nelson, over these three games, he solidified himself as the backup point guard going forward. If Shavar wants to be inserted into the game, you know, a defensive sequence to end the game, you want to put Shavar in because he's a good free throw shooter, uh, I could see those strategic moves. But for the bulk of the minutes to back up Q, it has to be Anthony Nelson going forward. You know what was surprising? It kind of came at us at nowhere. You know, Anthony he played a few minutes in the first half he's coming back in for the second half it looks like he's taking his normal rotation and then all of a sudden we're kind of texting to each other he's still in why is he in what's going on where's Q and you know none of us even thought that Q was injured because no one saw him tweak his groin or come up lame or anything of that nature and we're just thinking to ourselves, man he looks good he's still in there he was getting to the rim at will. There was nobody stopping him from getting to the rim when he wanted to get there. We weren't complaining about him not coming out because Q came back in for a small segment. Now, once again, we didn't know he was hurt, but immediately Q went to go attack the basket and took a really tough left-handed you know, attempt to kind of graze the underbelly of the rim. And I was like, oh, give me Nelson back at this point. He was hurt. But when Nelson got the extended run, he got into the flow of the game comfortable. We've said it throughout the entire year when we've watched him for the flashes of the times that he's gotten a chance to play. He looks comfortable. He looks poised. The ball's on a string. The offense just moves more, more freely when he's in the game. There were alley-oop passes. He switched on and off with Powell. And, and he made them pay by hitting a couple hitting a couple jumpers from the corner. I mean, he played a great game. Once again, it, it, was, it was a small sample, but that's what we were hoping that we were going to see from Anthony Nelson as the season progressed, as he got more playing time. He just did not get that playing time. Maybe we're going to get lucky. Maybe he's, maybe he's hit the he's hit the turning point. He has the confidence now, and you're going to get to see him do that in the NCAA tournament. That would be really cool. You know, I'm going to take issue with some of the writers out there because, I, you know, after a game like this, I'm going to all the usual spots, reading as much as I can. But I read a couple things. One guy said, where was this Anthony Nelson all season? I'll tell you where he was. He was plugged in on the bench because he wasn't getting a PT. Where was Anthony Nelson? You're telling me Anthony Nelson can't get more than two, three minutes against DePaul, can't get two or three minutes against any other team? Come on. He should have been playing steady minutes. If you don't want to play him more than eight, seven, eight minutes, that's fine. But he needed to get that exposure, that experience. I could be way off base with this next comment, and, and maybe we can just kind of wrap it up here on this Nelson topic because you know there's more to talk about with the NCAA tournament around the corner. But I was getting concerned that with Nelson losing significant time to Shavar, that there is a possibility that a young freshman like himself could be getting down on his confidence, down on his prospects of where do I fit into the rotation? Where do I fit into the program going forward? And I was concerned that in addition to recruiting Deshaun Davis next year to this roster, who is a, another combo two slash potential point guard that Nelson might have the thought of leaving. Having him have this type of performance, having him be part of the success, I think that's a huge piece, not only for this year, but moving forward. So um, I, I took a lot of positives out of the end of this game, and I'll say it again. No, I am not ashamed for losing this game. It doesn't take away the sting of losing to them, but I am absolutely proud of the team's performance for the collective three games at the Big East tournament.
you, Michael, you take the words right out of my mouth because for the past seven, eight minutes that we've been rec- uh, recapping this game, we've kind of gotten on the negative points of what was going on. But you are absolutely correct. There was no shame. The boys played a spectacular game. They got down. They came back. No one hung their head. There was no Mamu shrug. Everybody played hard. You know, as a point, Kale had a really tough offensive game. His shot was not falling. He was having a rough day. What does he do down the stretch? He draws a crazy important offensive foul call against Pascal, I think. At some time during that second half, he zooms out in front on the break and scores a transition layup to draw us closer. Everybody did their role. Everybody played an important important part of this game Gill had a couple of great alley-oops you know Gus is screaming Jamaica Jamaica every time he does something it was a spectacular game I came away with it not necessarily happy but I was a hundred percent proud to be a pirate at that point and Mike while I'm proud to be a pirate they gave us a lot of great moments over these last three games but they also gave us a lot of whoa did you see those moments but Mike we did it a little different this week we reached out to our Twitter friends and asked them to submit what they thought was the best whoa did you see that moment and I got one that I think we both agreed with Mike it was submitted by one of our great friends at Seton Hall fan and he wanted to let us know that Powell's three ball from the Jeep logo during the Georgetown game was his whoa did you see that moment and I think Raf got it perfect Mike when Miles hit that shot Rav said something to the effect of you gotta give him the Jeep he hit it from the Jeep logo Logo. I, I think he totally nailed it, but, but it all wasn't roses, Tommy, because you know what? Uh, the stupid stuff the announcer said, I've kind of had enough of Gus. I, I, I know Gus is a great announcer. He's earned the right to, to do what he does, but it gets to a point where with Miles Powell makes, the world takes, I'm done with it. It's, it's good sporadically. It's good once a game, maybe. He's thrown it out there four or five times a game now. It's a trap. Don't eat the cheese. It's just getting tired and old. It just really is. And on top of that, I know it's part of the Fox standard, you know, broadcast cuts that they have to show. But once again, fat Miles Powell, skinny Miles Powell, I'm, I'm just done. I'm, I'm done with it. Find new material. Seton Hall has now been on national television enough, and they were on TV three straight nights, that you didn't need to show that clip every game. The same audience that was watching game one against Georgetown was watching the game against Villanova. I didn't need to introduce it to the new audience that just showed up. Maybe the budget of Fox Sports has been hit lately, Mike, because not only do they keep showing the fat miles and the skinny miles picture, but, you know, the skinny miles pictures from like two years ago. They were also showing the Mike Enzi shot when they were talking about how he was Biggie's scholar athlete, and they had a picture of Mike who had to have been from his sophomore year because he didn't have the same haircut. I mean, update the photos, gentlemen. Make it look like you're trying. But this segment didn't become what, what stupid stuff the announcer said. This is stupid stuff that the broadcast production crew is doing now. Uh, whatever. But let's move on. We're, we, equal we, we opportu- we're equal opportunity offenders, Mike. If you offend us, we're going to let you know about it. We had a great weekend. We sound angry right now. I mean, I don't even know what to do. Let's move on. We got the NCAA tournament around the corner. Today was Selection Sunday. Let's talk about Wofford. It's gravy time, Mike. The boys are the 10 seed. They're going to the fourth straight NCAA tournament. This hasn't been done since the PJ era. It's fantastic. 
I can't believe it. Mea culpa, Mike. I was wrong. Well, no one had us making four NCAA tournaments. We all said that that would be significantly overachieving. Maybe the team could have things break the right way. Hey, if Torian Thompson could average 15 and 8, you know, maybe we could surprise some people. <laughs> Nobody thought that we were going to go to four, the fourth straight NCAA tournament with the lack of depth that we had on the roster to start the season. But things came together. We're all eating crow, and I think we're all pleasantly doing so. You want to complain now? You, you, you want to get back to glass half empty? I, I, I don't like our draw. I, I don't like our seed. Do you? I think we should have been better than a 10. But, you know, the 8-9 game is basically the same game. It doesn't matter whether you're 8. It doesn't matter if you're in a 9. I would have rather been the 7 just because at that point you're technically playing the softer team. And so you're you're getting an easier win through or easier game through the first round. Potentially. Eh, but Potentially. Potentially. Actually, everybody's sure. I mean it always everybody breaks. yeah everybody's seven eight nine ten we're all kind of mushed into that borderline top 25 all season but you're not really a top 25 that's kind of where you just fall into the tournament bracket I I have no issue I, I think it's a lack of respect that they got a 10 but at the end of the day seven eight nine ten I I think it's all the same like this is the same thing I talked about in 2016 when we we ended up going out to Denver to play a quasi home game for uh, Gonzaga for crying out loud we played the tennis clock game in the mountain time zone against zig i mean come on this is this is par for the course i, I didn't expect anything different i am not upset about the 10 seed i'm not as upset about wofford that, that that's not where i'm going here my issue is and every fan does this so, so don't tell me that you don't and if you're listening a bunch of baloney if you're not looking past the first round to see if we can get to the sweet 16 whenever you're the 7 10 or the 8 9 you're always looking to say after we win the first game who are we going to get matched up in round two and you're always trying to avoid you know the big dog that you don't think you can hang with i did not like the fact that they put us up against kentucky in the same you know the same round of 32 matchup again the ncaa committee normally goes out of their way to potentially avoid repeat matchups early Early on in the bracket. I don't like that Kentucky matchup at all. I would love to get there one game at a time. We're going to talk about Wofford in a second, but if we get to play Kentucky, I'm going to be glass half empty right now. I think they're going to kick our butts. I think we've talked about this before. Kentucky was just trying to find themselves when we played them. They, they didn't have their solidified answer at point guard yet. Hagen's has been great. Hero only made like one or two shots from the field that day, and now he's been shooting the lights out. And P.J. Washington, he, you know, he's now an All-American candidate at, at the four spot. I, I'm concerned that this team found themselves. They rolled through the SEC. They've been a top 10 team ever since they played us again. I'm concerned if we match up again, Calipari is not going to let them sleep on us and we could be in some trouble. I love how you are giving them the benefit of the doubt for not having found themselves in that game. But we must have been this perfect team. But we must have been that perfect team, Mike, that we were ready and ready to roll at against every and all coming teams. Mike, we're a different team now too, especially how we have handled these last two weeks. Does that mean we're going to have a fighter's chance against Kentucky I don't know and at this point I don't care just like you were telling me you didn't care what Georgetown was gonna do against us we just needed to win Mike that's all gravy we're getting ahead of ourselves even worrying about Kentucky at this point let's talk about the team that nobody knows anything about because no one's seen them play Wolford all right so so send it back to the the human encyclopedia as you like to call me and I'll tell you a little bit about Wofford so Wofford 29 and 4 on the regular season. They finished their conference schedule unblemished at 18-0 out of the Southern Conference. So where the heck is the Southern Conference? 
Well, believe it or not, the Southern Conference was the 11th best rated conference in all of the 32 Division I conferences. They also played in the same conference. You might have heard these names, UNC Greensboro and Furman. Furman's the team that knocked off Villanova earlier this year. And yeah, Greensboro. But Villanova was still trying to find themselves, Mike. They were still uh, early yeah. in the season. They didn't get, know get, what was going on. Stop stepping on my little pro, you know preview here at Wofford. Just back off for like 30 seconds more, please. Jeez. Again, UNC Greensboro, who they beat three times has been a bubble team conversation for the playing game the entire season. So the Southern Conference is no walkover, you know, small conference. They're, they're a respectable mid-major. They rank 20th in the final AP regular season rankings. That's pretty impressive. They actually did challenge themselves with a pretty hefty non-conference schedule. Their results were a little bit of a mixed bag, but they played North Carolina, lost by 11. Played Kansas, lost by 25. Lost to Oklahoma by 11. Lost to Mississippi State by 11. Beat South Carolina by 20. And as I mentioned before, beat UNC Greensboro three separate times. All right, so Mike, it's so not before, like played nobody. All right, so Mike, they may have played a, a impressive uh, schedule there, but you're telling me that the only team they beat out of that schedule is South Carolina, who went 16 and 16 this season, okay? They played a lot of good teams. They've beaten nobody. But they put these teams on the road, and they played them competitively. They challenged themselves by playing tough road games against Power 5 schools. They had a mixed bag of results, but they didn't get blown out by 40 in all these games. You know, they played them pretty competitively. What do you want me to say? Well, you're trying to find out who this team is. This is who they were. Can I, can I continue now? Please. Do you want to know about some of the players on the team? I would love about to hear about some of the players on this team. All right. So, so the, the, here, here's the kind I of makeup uh, of who this team is. They average 83 points a game. They shoot 49% from the field and they can shoot it from three team clip of 41% and they only turn it over about 10 times a game. That tells me just statistically that this team is probably very, very good fundamental ball club. Just from the sound of it, they sound very Marquette-esque. Marquette seems to shoot the ball well. It's, this kind of sounds like a similar team. Okay, so they have three top scorers, all of them average in double figures and they're all upperclassmen. It starts off with Fletcher McGee. He's a 6'4 shooting guard, a senior, averages 20 points a game. He scored a total of, get this, 2,484 points in his entire career. Where, where would that rank on the, the all-time seat in all list? I think second. I think T Terry DeHair was 2,492 or something like that. Yeah, that, that kind of puts it into perspective, doesn't it? This, they got a guy who can fill it up. He's only two threes away from being the all-time D1 leader in total makes from behind the line. That's impressive. So we got to put a star next to this guy and come up with a game plan right off the bat is what that tells me. Then they have a guy named Cameron Jackson, senior 6'8 forward, averages 14.5 per game, 7.5 rebounds. They have a guy named Nathan Hoover, another junior 6'4 guard, a little more, a little more than 13 points per game. And, but the rest of the team is kind of young. They got a 5'11 point guard named Storm Murphy. That's a pretty cool name, though, right? Storm, who averages eight points per game and, and just over three assists. The entire team, though, that gets minutes really can shoot the ball from deep. Murphy shoots it at 48%, Hoover 46, McGee 43, Jackson 38, and they got another guy off the bench named Trey Hollowell at 41%. It's not, not just one guy. You, you said it. This feels like Marquette. So... I'm I'm concerned that they could possibly shoot us out of the gym. They very may well. I mean, this is a sounds like a very well schooled team. Now, again, I'm one of the I'm one of those uh, big conference snobs that say, okay, they went 18 and 0 in the Southern Conference. They haven't lost since December. This to me sounds like they're due. I don't know. This is one one of those kind of 
unknowns. It's, it's not a power five school. So I'm not flipping around the channels throughout the season saying, let me get my Wofford time in. Hey, they're, they're top 25. There's an outside shot. Seton Hall might play him in the big dance. And if we were playing Minnesota, if we were playing somebody from the Pac-12, I might have run into a couple games. I haven't seen Wofford play. I, I can only tell you what I see on paper, and you know they got another guy named. I'll give you. I'll give you another name here. So Kiva Aluva uh, is like their version of of Mike Enzi. Kind of does a little bit of everything. That's Shoot, a better six, name six, than Stormy. I'll tell you, I like that. <laughs> they got some cool names. Fletcher from three. All right, I, I'm, I'm digressing. So Kiva Aluva shoots 67% from the floor, but only 55% from the line. And like Mike Enzi, he's not shot a three all year. He must be a very smart player who knows his role, right? <laughs> I wonder if he was scholar-athlete for the Southern Conference. Uh, my, well, my point is this. We, we need to do the best we can as a, as a coaching staff from the numbers and from the film to know the personnel. So, so in my opinion, the first key to victory is I'm hoping that Willard lets Gill or Sandro roam around in the middle and then we chase all their shooters off the three-point line and force them to have to attack the rim against our bigger guys in the middle. Don't get caught scrambling around off the pick and roll like we do against Marquette and Nova and leave one guy open in the corner shooting a wide open three. Everybody should be pressing up on that three-point line and saying, you're going to beat us from inside the arc, plain and simple, and then force our strength, which is Sandro and Gill's ability to block shots, be the determining factor in the game. Well, Fletcher McGee also, against the top teams, didn't necessarily have good days, Mike. He seemed to have struggled against UNC, the Kansas of the world. So I'm wondering, okay, this guy obviously can fill it up, but when he goes up against top conference talent, maybe he's not quite there, Mike. Maybe that's why he's playing for Wolford. That's a possibility. Numbers bear it out. Not just like he had a so-so game. 7 for 23 against North Carolina, 1 of 14 from Kansas, 3 or 15 against South Carolina in a game that they did win, and 7 of 18 from the floor against Oklahoma. He's human. As good as he is and as much as he can fill it up, he can have an off night. So obviously these other teams put their focus around shutting him down. I do not want to be coming back to this podcast and talking about how another player had a career night against us, knowing that this kid is a prolific scorer. It better be a part of the game plan. That's all I got to say. It just really, it, it can't, there cannot be an excuse to let this guy go off for 25 or 30 because he's getting open looks from three. It's going to take an A game from the defense. We're going to have to keep him off that line. We're going to have to try to use our height advantage, or we're going to have to board them real well, Mike, to, to get a win out of this. Wofford has earned the right to be a seventh seed. They, you know, to go 29-4 and four and 18-0 and 0 in your conference, you've had a pretty good season. I'm just saying from what I've heard so far, from what the numbers bear out, from the you know the tail of the tape for some of the, the weight and, and heights of these, these players, I want to muck it up. I don't want to try to run up and down with these guys. I don't want to outshoot them. I want to play this game in the, the mid-60s to low-70s. I want to see them basically try to have to grind it out with us. I want to put pressure on them on the defensive side of the floor, attack the basket, put them in foul trouble and that's i want to see us play our brand of basketball and not kind of get into a track meet regardless of who's the higher seed and impose our will you want a good old-fashioned monday night big east brawl from espn circa 1994 don't you mike i take a repeat of the marquette game 
<laughs> oh, minus the refereeing. Well, Mike, the great part about all this, to be honest with you, whatever happens, this is really gravy. It's been gravy since about Friday night. I mean, there was no reason that we should have been in that Big East tournament championship, not the way we played most of the Big East season. There's not really much of a reason why we're in the NCAAs. We've had a fantastic last two and a half weeks. Whatever happens here, it's got to be kudos to, to Kevin Willard. It's got to be kudos to this team. They've done a fabulous job. I'm I'm ecstatic. You have to be. Do, do you really want to be in the position where some of the other Big East teams are right now? I mean, no, no knock on them, but there are five teams playing in the NIT. Uh, that's a nice representation of the conference to send 90% of their teams to a postseason tournament, but we would have signed up for the, for the NIT and being on the bubble the entire season when the when the season started, I am so happy to be where we are. Without do you want to be where Saint? You want to be where Saint John's is? Do you want to be playing in Dayton? Don't get game? me started on St. John's. Don't get me started. I want to stay happy for the rest of the evening. I can't wait for Thursday. I am so super excited. I'm pumped. I'm pumped. Like you said, it's the gravy train has left the station. What do you think, Mike? Are we getting into that second round? Could they win? Yes. Would I like to see them win? Absolutely. I, I still bleed blue, but I, I think the game could go either way. Till Thursday night, Michael. So if you have enjoyed this podcast, please listen to our previous podcasts, which include interviews with former walk-on John Yablonski, former WSOU color commentator Mike McEnany, and 1989 team manager Clark Holly. For Tom Chilkaharski, I am Mike Dizzy Diziri, and you have been listening to Left Post Pirates. <laughs>